0: I saw this morning that Bernardo Bertolucci, the film director, had died. I had an opportunity to work with him in 1990 on the film The Sheltering Sky. So anyway, I posted about it, and a few people wanted to know, like, how did, you know, what in the world were you doing in a room with him? So in the late 80s, people were editing movies on film, on celluloid. And it was really arduous. You were literally taking film and cutting it and taping it together. And if you wanted to change something, you needed to untape it and recut it and put the tape back on and then the piece that you cut out, you needed to kind of put back where you didn't lose it. And it was enormously complicated and in the early 80s George Lucas was, you know, had uh, you know, he had built this computer division that was exploring ways computers could help filmmaking, and um, one obvious way was to computerize editing. Now, in those days, it was not feasible to digitize all the material from the film. There was hundreds of thousands of feet of celluloid. It was 30, 40, 50, 100 hours of material that was getting cut into a, a couple-hour movie. And, it you know, it's, it's a big piece of work. And the storage of that material was not practical digitally yet, although it was coming. And so in that era, you transferred your material to some sort of electronic medium, videotape or a laser disc or something that was controlled by the computers. And you could kind of simulate what would eventually be the nonlinear process that you get out of when you digitize the video so a good five ten years before it was feasible to digitize it you could still make it electronic and work on it on a computer and you had the experience of being you know like on a word processor but for film so lucas in the early days had invented a system called the edit droid that you transferred your material to laser discs and you cut it with this sort of sun workstation a few years later there were other sort of weird systems that were being invented. And one of them was by the company that had actually invented videotape editing in the first place, uh, CMX, which was a joint venture of CBS and Memorex. And they had, um, you know, they had first invented uh, time code and time code based editing systems, videotape editing systems. And so it made sense that they were sort of looking at, at how you would start cutting film. It was tricky. Film, you know, uh, played at 24 frames per second and video played at 30 frames per second. So there was issues there. But CMX was developing a new system. It was called the CMX 6000. And I left Lucasfilm at some point and joined CMX and was sort of the expert and product manager of the CMX 6000 for a while. So in that era, it was very uh, we were showing this system to anybody in Hollywood, trying to get uh, projects to cut on it, to try it out, and it was weird. You know, Everyone knew how to use film. They knew how to use videotape, and, and inserting a new system, even if you could show that it made it easier, w- was a hard sell. So I would, I would spend a lot of my days either um, supporting projects that were you know, television shows or low-budget movies that were trying out the equipment – but you really needed a flagship project to use your new product to kind of give it its launch. And we had been cutting TV and, and low-budge movies for a couple of years by the end of the 80s. But we were really looking for someone who was going to, you know, someone big, someone who's going to really commit to it. In about 1988, I think, or 89, Bernardo Bertolucci had made and released The Last Emperor. And that film just was great. It it, it was not only a a wonderful movie, but it won nine Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Best Director, Best Editor, Best Best Cinematographer. The entire team that made that movie was very excited and um, was on top of the world. And there was this moment where um, we had been showing the CMX 6000 to all kinds of music video directors and other people, and i just shown it to two guys who were music video creators, Gottfried and Cream, Lowell Cream, and uh, they had been part of a band called 10 CC which um, I think was most famous in those days for a song called The Thing We Do for Love. Anyway, those guys were at the academy picking and doing whatever, and the story that I heard was that they were in an elevator with um, Gabriella Cristiani, who had um, you know just picked up her Oscar for the, the Last Emperor, and they were literally talking about what they had just seen. They had seen a demonstration of the CMX 6000, this amazing device that cut, like film, cut, you know, cut, electronically but in a film style. And Gabriella heard that and she's like I I'm, you know, a great editor and we just opened all this stuff and and I would like to see this equipment myself. I should be using the the, the greatest equipment. You know, shortly thereafter Gabriella showed up at the post group where we were um, staged with the CMX 6000 and she showed up with, you know, Vittorio Storaro who's, you know, had won this the it was, is a is a fabulous cinematographer. He'd won many Oscars for Apocalypse Now and um, I think Dick Tracy and The Last Emperor. And uh, Storaro and Gabriella showed up and they uh, looked through the CMX 6000 and Gabriella said, you know, I'm going to cut Bernardo's next movie on this device. That And so it meant that I needed to train her and she was super busy. And other kind of weird things were going on. We were realizing uh, that the... Um, the Italians, the, this group who had made *The Last Emperor*, Bernardo and Vittorio and, and Gabriella, um, they were kind of the creative people on the film. And then the British were the sort of the producers. When Gabriella decided she wanted to use this equipment on *The Sheltering Sky*, their next film that was cutting in London in uh, 1990. The British weren't really big fans of this idea, and it was expensive and weird and put them at risk. But I think, personally, I think the Italians were just sort of like, you know, screw you, we're going to do it this way and make it happen. So anyway, um, my friend Ken organized this massive project, and uh, Gabrielle never fully got trained. She was just busy as they were getting ready, going in the shoot and doing production. But uh ken had managed to get this job happening so in london in early 1990 a a giant computer the cmx 6000 was shipped to london and uh she insisted that i come with it i'm the, the the expert on the product and she needed to be trained and i would just make sure the product went well now cmx for their part really wanted me there because they could have nothing go wrong with this project. It was a, it was a watershed moment in technology and in and certainly for the companies, they wanted it to go well. So I was shipped out with the equipment to London. We set it up and Ken came out for the first couple of weeks. They gave me a, like a furnished apartment in London and other, and there was lots of sort of things going on. One, one of the things that was going on that was kind of relevant was that Gabriela had, um, Recently, become a a, a devotee of uh, of a new sort of uh, I don't know if it was new, but a, a yoga practice called Siddha. The guru associated with that, Gurmai, was a um, sort of a modernist in the movement and was really trying to bring it to the West more. And Gabriella had um, was wearing. Indian outfits and had a, a red dot on her forehead and she'd given up smoking. And I think that it, it upset Bernardo. I mean, I think they, they had grown up together. They were super close. They're like brother and sister. And I think they probably sat around and had cigarettes and smoked and worked on their films and argued like brother and sisters do. And now all of a sudden she's shown up with his computer and she's quit smoking and it's, and Bernardo is sort of irked by the whole thing. And the other thing that was unusual was that, unlike most directors in Hollywood, where you shoot in um, in shooting order, you know, someone has organized all of the scenes of the movie in sort of a, a very logical way, and then you um, cut it as the dailies come in. Every day they shoot something, it gets processed, and for them that meant it went to Technicolor in Rome, and then it would go back to the United States to be turned into laser discs, and then it would come back to us in London. We were um, So we weren't really getting dailies. They were kind of weeklies. Bernardo didn't want to cut the film. They don't cut the films in that shooting order. They let all of the film accumulate throughout the shoot. They shot in North Africa for, for months. And then when it was done, they all took a vacation and returned fresh and uh, excited to London and started cutting the film in scene order, which meant on the first day of editing, you're editing scene one. And on the last day of editing, you'd be editing scene, we you know, two hundred. So that was a luxury. I'd never seen anybody do that before. So that's what was going on. So so Gabriella sat at the CMX six thousand. I sat at her side. Bernardo would come and go, sit with her, or leave her alone for a while, and come back and see how it's going. And they'd argue about scenes. They tended to speak in English around me but they were also arguing in Italian and I sat in the back sometimes trying to learn Italian Ken stayed for a couple of weeks and uh, you know we were having uh, an exciting time in London and there was actually if I might digress slightly there was a moment where like I really you know it's 1990 it's London but uh, I really wanted to like find some weed in London and there is no weed in London or apparently not then I called around. A friend of mine was sort of a musician and he had a music studio in Hammersmith and connected me down there. And I, we went out one day and got a block of hashish. I know I'd never seen hashish, but it was like a like a looked like a bazooka bubblegum block, black block of gum. It was hard as a rock. And we bought, you know, we bought this thing. We brought it back to the flat. And neither of us had any clue how to smoke this thing or what to even do with it. We picked up a pipe at a flea market. I, you couldn't fit it in the pipe. It was it was big. It was a big block. Uh, I didn't know what to do with it, and he he didn't either. So we found in the a drawer in this sort of furnished apartment a giant pair of Sheffield hedge trimmers, like a just like a huge scissors kind of device. And we put the block in there, and we jammed down on the handles and it shattered and we spent hours crawling around on the floor picking up the little pieces and reassembling our block and actually we found all the pieces except one there was like one irregular chunk that was missing we could never find and but we found the rest of it and it really colored our experiences of those first weeks ken was only there for um a couple weeks but it was great to have him there and we would we figured out how to jam this stuff in the little broken pieces into a pipe and we would smoke them in the evening sometimes and talk about the future of Hollywood and and how the project was going. And so anyway, that was London. And it was it was a, a, a really interesting experience for me uh, because of the, the in the editing bay, there was a picture of the guru that Gabriella had put on the wall. And every morning I would go out and get fresh flowers that we would put in the cutting room around the picture of the guru. I, I loved having an opportunity to watch Gabriela edit and to listen to her work with Bernardo. The opening scene of The Sheltering Sky um, is uh, the characters are on a on a cruise ship. They've landed and, in North Africa, and they're getting off the cruise ship, and they take a little boat to the shore, and that's kind of the opening of the movie. So Vittorio Storo had shot about uh, 30 minutes, 45 minutes of material of John Malkovich, Deborah Winger, and Campbell Scott on the little boat coming to shore. And every shot is beautiful. I mean, it's amazing. There's wide shots and the light of the sun is sparkling on the water, and there's close-ups and there's I mean, there's a ton of coverage. It it's all beautiful. I asked Gabriella if I can make a cut of the opening. I want to take a stab at it. And this wasn't really possible on film. One of the things that this technology made possible was your assistant could try a cut. It didn't, it didn't screw up anything. It didn't ruin anything. And so um, she said, I could. I could take a stab at it. And I remember working so hard. This was like a big deal for me to cut the sort of the opening of the movie. And I went through the entire... I went through all of the material very carefully and I cut this scene and I thought it was beautiful. I was very excited to show Bernardo and when, the, like, the next morning, they came in and they wanted to see my cut, and I showed it to them, and I remember Bernardo sort of looking at me like, "What are you, some kind of idiot?" And I thought, "What? I mean, what? <laughs> it's like it's it looks great." And he said, "That, come on, I am giving you material from the greatest cinematographer in the world. All you need to do is pick any shot, any what are you saying? Pick any one shot, and you've pretty much got what you need. You've got." dozens of shots here like you couldn't decide and I remember thinking right that was the thing it's like editing is not about throwing out bad stuff editing was about throwing out good stuff to make the remaining things better and that was probably the most important thing I ever learned about filmmaking about editing in general so anyway I got to You know, they threw out my cut, and Gabriella did it some other way. But sitting with them and watching them work changed everything about what I thought of filmmaking and editing and living a, a filmmaker's life. He spoke with me often about his feelings about technology, that he felt that it was going to change filmmaking. He used to say that it reminded him to see the movie on a small screen was like, for him... You make this giant thing, this, this sculptural experience that's big. And by the time it's done with its life, it's now converted to videotape and it shows on television. And it's kind of the end of it, its life, the life of a movie. And to him, to start out with that, to to create it on video, was like you, you missed the whole point. Like he never really made the, the thing. Uh, he was sort of right. You know, I mean, movies became smaller because of this. And the way you cut movies changes if you look at it smaller. I love the way they made movies. They would they would uh, work very hard and argue, and then they would go out to lunch and smoke cigarettes and drink coffee and um, argue more and then decide they weren't going to go back into the cutting room that day. They just were maxed. Like, that never happened in Los Angeles. but But to them, making a movie was part of their life. It it had to fit into their life in a way that made sense. Otherwise, what was the point? There there was more stories I could tell about that. But um, as the film progressed, Gabriella always talked lovingly of Morocco, where she had been during the shoot and um, had often talked about wanting to get a place there. And as her assistant, I, you know, just kind of went along with whatever she was saying but as the film was winding down, as we're, you know, it's we're many months into the project and she announced one day, um, well, actually this is what happened. Bernardo announced that he was going to disappear for a couple of weeks to go to the Cannes Film Festival because he wanted to, he was a judge at Cannes and she saw that as an opportunity where we would have sort of the pressure taken off the accelerator and that we could kind of kick back. And so she said that we are going to go to Marrakesh And she wanted to buy a house, and I would accompany her. She just announced this, that I will accompany her to Marrakesh. And we were going to stay with, um, I think, the first assistant director. The second assistant director was a woman who lived in Marrakesh, and we were going to stay with her. She and Gabriella were friends. And, you know, I... I didn't really know where Marrakesh was. In fact, if it wasn't for the Crosby-Stills-Nash song, I probably wouldn't have even heard of Marrakesh. But that was the plan. I was going to accompany her. I was going to stay there by the house. The day before we were to leave, Bernardo announced that he wanted to show a cut of the full film at Cannes. And it was not ready. I mean, it was digital. It was on the computer. And making that into a celluloid print was a, process. It was a lot of work, and it meant getting it out of the CMX 6000 and getting back onto celluloid. And I figured we would stick around, but Gabriella felt like she needed to do this. I mean, that is what she does, but she didn't want to cancel the trip, and so she insisted I go anyway, that Marrakesh is great. And so that morning, I I didn't even even know what I was supposed to be doing, but I got on a plane, and I flew to Marrakesh. I remember changing planes in Casablanca, and Feeling like wow, I'm on the tarmac in Casablanca, like in the movie. Although the movie wasn't even really shot there, but anyway, um, I went to Marrakesh. I remember getting to the airport, and I don't speak Arabic. Um, I didn't wasn't really sure what was going to happen when I got there, and I I walk into the the area where people are being picked up, and there's a, and it's emptying out. Everyone's getting picked up, and I don't even know who I'm looking for. This woman. I have her name on a piece of paper. Eventually, I notice there's a kid there, like a teenager, holding a sign that says Christiani. It took me a while to figure that out. And so I walk up to him and explain that I am who he's looking for, but he doesn't understand that. He has been told he's looking for an older woman. I'm like a younger dude. So I don't speak Arabic, and he doesn't speak English, but we sort of figure out that we both speak sort of high school French. And so we have this becomes our medium of communication, um, just kind of roughing through bad French. So I'm trying to work this out with him that I'm who he's picking up. And he's not the second A.D. and he's sort of trying to communicate to me eventually that she is out of town. He is part of her family and um, I am to stay with them. I'm to, to be hosted by these guys. That's what happened. Eventually I went and I hung out with this family in Marrakesh and it was fantastic. There was this, in our first dinner, um, we were in this little room, and I loved, you know, we're eating with our hands, and we have a towel in our lap, and dinner is grandma and mom, and and Abdulham is the the boy who'd picked me up, uh, and his sister, and um, at some point, the mom and the daughter leave or whatever, and Grandma and Dad and me and Kham are, are hanging out. and he pulls out some some hashish, some some kief. and we are all smoking at the table. and you know, Dallas is on TV in the background in black and white dubbed into Arabic. And I just remembering this very surreal evening with all of them having so much fun, And he warned me, by the way, to not go, you know, if I wanted hash, not to buy it in Marrakesh, uh, that they're looking for Americans doing stupid things like that. So I wasn't going to. He said he would, you know, we could smoke together with the family. So I was, uh, I had a great week with them and lots of adventures, which I can, you know, kind of go in some other time. But when I was leaving, I mean, I, you know, when I was leaving, finally, I know I, I reeked of, of. Smoke, but I, I, I literally I didn't buy any, any hash, hash, and I felt fine flying back to London. I remember going into customs, and you know there's dogs and there's, and they're looking at Americans, they're going through all of my stuff, and they're, you know they're, they're going through my bag, and it, there's this moment when they reach into my bag and they pull out a, a piece of hashish, and then this, this officer is holding it in my face, and he says, "Do you know what this is?" and i'm looking at it and i think i know what that is that was the piece of hashish we lost in london like 4 months earlier like and i don't think my face was able to disguise that recognition of like oh there it is <laughs> but i i tried to hold that together i'm freaking out he's holding a piece of hashish and they whisk me off and to you know make another creepy weird story short they strip search me they don't find any more drugs and I'm terrified they're not gonna even let me back into London and send me home and I, but I, I finally show up back in the cutting rooms to tell them this exciting story and they've you know, they've shifted back to film. They're finishing the movie on film. Bernardo um is gonna show it that way, and once it's back on celluloid, they're not gonna go back to the computer, they're gonna stay in that. So they just sort of turned around and looked at me, Bernardo and Gabriela, everybody kind of was like, We're back on film, we're done with your computer, you know, you can go. And that was it. I uh Sort of packed up and and left London, and I and I saw them one more time in, at the premiere of the film. Um, there was a party and a screening in Los Angeles, and it was great. That was the last time I saw Bernardo. Uh, go back and watch any of his films, but I would highly recommend *The Last Emperor* and uh, and if you're interested, *Sheltering Sky*. And um, we'll miss him.